When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello. I'm wearing the wrong headphones. <laughs> All right, Ariel. So I've, I've summoned you here today um, because there's a story that I've been following that I really want to talk to you about. So do you know who Jake Paul is? Yes, I do. Unfortunately, I do. He's a YouTuber. He's famous. Good morning, Jake. Yeah, he's like this ridiculous fucking YouTuber. He like, I don't know, does like YouTube stunts and like buys lots of expensive shit. Today I am getting my Lamborghini, guys. And like sells Bitcoin. I bought my first Bitcoin eight years ago when I was 16. It was at $100. Stop playing with me. And just like, you know, you know how YouTubers are. But recently he started boxing celebrities. Like there was this former professional basketball player, Nate Robinson. He's trying to get the ring. He knocked him out in the second round. We need uh, definite medical attention for Nate Robinson and against we'll And at the time, like early on, it's like, you know, wh- whatever. But recently, he started doing these boxing matches with like real actual combat athletes, you know, MMA, mixed martial arts fighters. And so earlier this year, he like starts talking shit to this guy named Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley. We chose him to get his ass beat. Who's like, I can only describe Tyron Woodley as like a fucking killer. Five-time UFC champion. Da-da-da, explosive. Like, the dude is like chiseled out of marble, was a UFC welterweight champion. Da-da-da, knockout power. That's all cool, but none of that matters. He's not only talking shit about Tyron Woodley, he's talking shit about the UFC. And people like Dana White, who own the UFC, are basically creating a monopoly. Fighters should be getting more pay, and they are the content, you know, without them getting the money. So Tyrone Woodley and Jake Paul have this boxing match. What happens? The crowd electric. The action underway. Paul in the So the short version is like Tyrone Woodley just sort of stands there and like hardly fights. Woodley throwing only six punches. He hits him hard like one time and almost knocks him down, but that's like really it. Tyron Woodley actually ends up losing. By split decision and still undefeated, the problem child, <laughs> Yeah, like he just looks absurd. It's like why like why would you participate in this facade? You were like a, you're a world-class athlete. Like why would you why would you do this? But then the numbers come out 
And Tyron Woodley was paid $2 million for this ridiculous facade fight. Pretty good money. Where that gets absurd is Tyron Woodley made about $4.5 million over a 12-year mixed martial arts career. So he makes half of the earnings from a decade-long career in just one night. Really? Yes. That seems really low. Really, really low. And here's the thing. There's been other retired former UFC fighters coming out and doing these exhibition boxing matches. Like, this is starting to happen all over. So as I watch these former UFC fighters do this, like these stunt boxing matches, I realized that a lot of what this was was a cash grab. These fighters, are they're looking to make some money. Like, they need this money. And that's when it became clear to me that this is the symptom of a larger issue, which, which is a deep labor crisis within the UFC. It's the most controversial and most vilified of all professional sports, mixed martial arts combat. You might know it as ultimate fighting. UFC is a mixed martial arts organization claiming to be the fastest growing sport in the world. Fan numbers are up, ticket sales and viewerships are up. It's unfair, the the UFC fighters don't have fair pay. You have these scumbags out there that know nothing about the business, telling all the fighters, oh, you're all being underpaid. The Ultimate Fighting Championship, which has reportedly been sold uh, for about $4 billion. Everybody acts like this is a fucking career. This isn't a career. This is not a a career. This is an opportunity. This is Vice News Reports, and I'm your host, Ariel Zumaros. And I'm Sam Egan, a producer for Vice News Reports. So ADR, I got to ask before we get into this, how much do you know personally about the UFC? I know that it's like uh, full body fighting in a like enclosed ring thing. Uh, I know that the term stands for ultimate fighting. I don't know if it's club or championship. Welcome to the ultimate fighting championship. Championship. Honestly, that's probably all you need to know, right? It's this hyper-violent, gruesome sport that's, like, essentially a combination of, like, every martial art just, like, mashed together, right? You got, like, kickboxing, you have wrestling, you have jujitsu, you have just every martial art under the sun in a cage with tiny gloves just beating the brakes off of each other. It's hard to describe the the sound of a good punch. It's just kind of like maybe taking a baseball bat to a big piece of meat or... Or fucking, you know, or taking it to another human being. It's this combination of, like, cheap leather and blood. Gray Maynard is a mixed martial arts fighter who fought in the UFC from 2007 up to 2018. They called me the bully. Last round was all Gray Maynard's takedowns. Using his nickname, the bully, just imposed his will. And he just bullied people, like, got in their face, knocked people out. Super tough dude. So he really came up along with 
the company and watched it grow from this like sideshow sport into this like legitimate sporting powerhouse. Just to give you a little bit of background, the UFC started in 1993. Gray was a 14 year old teenager at the time, and he says he used to watch the fights at home. Eight street tough warriors wage combat in a battle where anything can happen and probably will. We were in the basement and, and uh, just watching it. I was like, this is nuts. This is crazy. And so it was basically like this one night, one off tournament. Like we're going to decide who the best martial artist in the world is right now. They were trying to kill each other, you know, like literally. Of like all martial arts. Of all martial arts. There was no mixing. Disciplines, karate, judo, jujitsu, savat, kickboxing, sumo wrestling. That sounds kind of epic. It kind of was. There were no time limits. There was no judge's score. Damn. The only way the fight could end was by knockout or submission. Be forewarned, there are no rules, no judge's scores, and no time limits. And headbutts were legal. Oh my God. <laughs> Hair pulling, it was all legal. Okay, all of that sounds terribly <laughs> risky and horrible and bad for your health and nobody should do it. And also, I might look it up. People have the same reaction that you're having. People like are like, that is barbaric, but they just can't look away. There was people knocking them other down, sitting on top of them and smashing them in the face. There was no referee, there was nothing. It was terrible. And from the get-go, it does really, really well. Of course it does. <laughs> They're getting a lot of press and the scrutiny picks up and there's this backlash and outcry against the UFC. So, by the early 2000s, the sport of MMA has been made illegal, essentially, in large swaths of the country. Like, the short of it is that the sport is dying. But then these casino magnets step in, buy the company for $2 million, and they have this longtime high school friend of theirs from Las Vegas named Dana White. And they put him in charge of the company and make him president. Now, Dana White is like this big, beefy, bald dude. He's got this big, deep booming voice. You know what you guys know about this business? What I fucking tell you. That's what you know. That's all you know. You know, a lot like Vince McMahon and the WWE, like, just as much as the fighters are a representative of the UFC, like, he has made a character for himself as the UFC. What we've done here has never been done in the history of combat sports. So, this guy Dana White starts, like, being the public face of UFC. Then what happens? So, at this point, it's like, it's the mid-2000s, and you were there in the mid-2000s. I was there. Reality TV was like, it was like having a moment, right? So they get this idea for a reality TV show, and they call it The Ultimate Fighter. And it was, I don't know if you remember Spike TV, but it was like TV for men. Yeah, TV for men, Spike TV. Uh, <laughs> TV for men. Right, Spike TV. I, I didn't watch Spike TV, but I'm definitely familiar. Yeah, and they had this, they had this great theme song. Like, I remember flipping through the channel because I never really watched too much TV. So at this point, Gray Maynard, that teenager, the one who was watching UFC fights from his basement at home, right? He was coming off of a super successful college wrestling career and was looking for a way into the UFC. And um, this reality TV show came on and I was just like, oh, fuck, what am I doing? And what The Ultimate Fighter is, is 16... Actual real life cage fighters, real athletes, 
and they put him in a house like Jersey Shore style. On this season of The Ultimate Fighter, 16 of the country's best unsigned mixed martial arts fighters are about to get the opportunity of a lifetime. Does this show do well? So the show does like insanely well. I mean, it really launches the UFC into the mainstream consciousness. Uh, between 2005 and 2006, when the show first airs on Spike TV, the UFC goes from $48 million in revenue to almost $200 million in one year. Yeah, that's a huge increase. You could tell that it was something like that was really catching on. Gray Maynard, he found himself on the show in 2007, on the fifth season of the show. He doesn't actually win. He loses in the semifinal. We were at the, the last fight of the finale and we were standing in line but he does well enough to get a contract anyways they gave us the contract and i'm pretty sure we signed it like right there and now he's tied into the ufc right this is like the nfl or the nba or the nhl for this sport so what do these contracts look like you're signed to the ufc right and you can only compete with the ufc for an agreed upon number of fights for Gray, he says this was nine fights. And the contract is basically structured in two halves. You have the money that you're guaranteed to get paid if you just show up, and the money you're guaranteed to get paid if you show up, fight, and win. So, for example, on Gray's first contract, he was signed starting at $8,000 just to show up, and another $8,000 if he won. Then there's also bonuses, which are never guaranteed for things like having the best knockout of the night or the best submission of the night or just having the best overall fight. It was just, just jump through the hoops, just jump through the hoops, just keep training, just keep winning. Pretty much from the get-go, his career just like came out against a guy and like knocked him out in nine seconds. takes off. The bully is bullying Dennis Seaver right now. It just kept going. Maynard striking has improved drastically. I just kept winning. Ray Maynard just standing right in front of the kickboxer. Tosses him to the ground. And winning and winning. The bully truly dominant. Ray Maynard looking to tap out Roger Huerta. Maynard hoping to remain unbeaten in his mixed martial arts career. Moved to 7-0. and Winner by split decision. Gray! The bully! And so he wins, like, eight fights in a row, which at the time, like, was one of the longest win streaks in the history of the UFC. And in 2011... UFC 125, January 1st at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Frankie Edgar will be defending his lightweight title against Gray Maynard. He earns himself a shot at the UFC lightweight title, which is, like, a big deal. Mm -hmm. This is, like, a championship mm -hmm. fight. Gray has big power in his punches, and he's not afraid to throw down... And he's a star at this point, too, right? He's a star. The show made him really big. He's a really difficult opponent for anyone at lightweight. So if Gray loses, he's only guaranteed $26,000. And that's for showing up. But if he wins, he gets another $26,000. So fifty-two dollars guaranteed. Plus, again, those bonuses that we talked about. And that's when Gray realizes... Like, holy shit, I am fucking... If I lose this fight, I'm going to go broke. He basically has to win this fight. 
Now, I'm gonna show you this fight. So yeah, Gray like wow. right out of the gate comes out like knocks the almost knocks the dude out. Yeah, he's just like immediately just hitting him in the head, and this other guy cannot get up, cannot get away. Yeah, he like knocks him straight to his ass. Constantly taking him down to the ground. He's on top of him and just hitting him in the head. Edgar's nose. Wow, incredible! Can't believe he got back up to his feet after that. It just kept going to where, you know, I'm dropping in more. I'm like, when are they gonna stop this? When are they gonna stop this? This belt is mine. You know, I'm looking in his eyes and there's nothing there. Big start for Gray Maynard. Amazing that Frankie Edgar was able to recover from that at all. Wow. Oh my God, that guy can barely stand up. Mm. Okay, there's a lot of blood. Yeah, so the fight goes the full 25 minutes. And it's a seriously bloody fucking affair, right? And to this day, it's like widely considered to be one of the best fights that like ever happened in the UFC. Ladies and gentlemen, after five rounds of action, we go to the judges' scorecards for a decision. The judges score this contest. 48-46, Maynard. 48-46, Edgar. And 47-47, this fight is considered a draw. Ends in a draw. Really? It ends in a draw. Huh. It's it, pretty rare. When there's a draw, the title stays with the current champion. Oh, shit. And so Gray doesn't win then? Gray does not win. So he doesn't get the 52000 He is entitled in his contract to $26,000. But UFC fighters, they can sometimes get these things called backroom bonuses, which are essentially like, here's what's guaranteed in your contract. But if you show up, you do a good job, you're a good company man, the UFC will like slip you an extra check and the money is rarely if ever the same and it's never publicly disclosed. Okay, wow. Between all of his bonuses, uh, he makes about 200 grand for an event that by my math brought in around $14 million. Damn, okay. So 200 grand to get the shit kicked out of you when the company putting on the event is making 14 million, that actually really doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you think, like, they're out promoting that event. Like, Gray's face is, like, on the poster for UFC 125. Like, they right. are the product here. They are putting butts in seats. They are the show. That Like, they are, in this instance, they are the UFC, right? Right. I have to explain around here that, like, the way that UFC fighters are employed, they are independent contractors. They are freelancers. Mm. Cool. So, like, no job security... Nothing. No job security, nothing. Like, all of your training, all of your personal medical care, all of your food, like everything, that's coming out of your paycheck. And most fighters will say that's typically between a third and like half of each fight check. That seems ridiculous. Yeah. And as as Gray tells it, he eventually comes to realize that the backroom bonuses are offered as a way to basically distract from how much money he was actually being guaranteed in his contract. They were really good at that that fine line of um, just enough to 
to make you say like, uh, all right, I'm not going to make a big deal about this because I need this money. <laughs> when we asked the UFC about backroom bonuses, they declined to comment. So wait, UFC is making a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like a lot of fucking money. <laughs> um, this fight took place in 2011, right? But today they're making like way more. In the last year, they've reportedly generated about $890 million in revenue. How does that compare to, I don't know, the NFL? So like obviously the big difference is like the UFC, this isn't a team sport, right? This isn't like the NFL or the NBA or the NHL. Right. But... In those leagues, your sort of major American sports leagues, about roughly half of every dollar they're bringing in is is going to the product, which is the athletes. The UFC, depending on the estimate, is sitting somewhere around 16%. So the money isn't exactly trickling down. Basically, I understood after my title fight, like, this isn't livelihood money. It is what it is, right? Especially when you have a passion you have to take it, you know? It's like an artist not being able to do art. You know, we work for tips to keep our mouth shut. So we reach out to the UFC, and in a statement they claimed, quote, UFC pays its fighters more than any other MMA promoter, with average fighter compensation rising by over 600% since 2005. Hmm. So like Gray isn't the only fighter dealing with this, right? There's a whole roster of fighters who are dealing with this. And in the early days of the UFC, so like the late 90s, early 2000s, it's a lot easier for the UFC to argue like, hey, we were an upstart company, you know? We can't maybe pay you what you get paid if you were like in the NFL or the NBA, right? But the reality is that the UFC, year after year, month after month, has become this like rapidly growing sporting powerhouse. I'm watching guys and girls who are going in there fucking losing years on their life and just taking a little bit of more money out of this this small portion of people who are making the most of it, you know, and passing it down to the people who are fucking are going to war all the time. And it's led a lot more fighters to speak up. And now some of them are taking the UFC directly to court. That's after the break. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
So UFC is this like scrappy, to a certain extent, look down upon sport where fighters aren't getting paid much. And when they are getting paid, it's in some back room where they don't get to actually talk about it. And so now these fighters are gearing up for a fight. Um, Things have gotten so contentious that in 2015, a group of fighters actually filed an antitrust suit against the UFC. I think when I started to open my eyes how little we were getting paid when I was offered the title fight. And what I walked away with was $10,000. So I talked to this guy named Nate Quarry, who fought for the UFC for about five years in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, He was actually on that first season of The Ultimate Fighter that helped blow the sport up. His first and only championship fight happened in 2005. So Nate and the other plaintiffs are seeking damages. They've illegally monopolized the sport and they've artificially suppressed wages. The UFC could be forced to pay the fighters almost $5 billion. $5 billion? Where does that number come from? So the fighters themselves calculated $1.6 billion as wages they believe they're entitled to. And in antitrust cases... Damages are tripled, essentially to deter large companies like large mega conglomerate corporations from screwing people over. So that's how they got to the number of five billion. Okay, okay, okay. So it's a de- it's a deterrent. Exactly. Yeah, it's supposed to, like, smaller numbers. That doesn't mean anything to like a Walmart or to a Verizon, right? But you triple that shit, you're getting to like big boy, big boy money. And they're also, they're asking the court to change the laws around how the UFC can contract their fighters. The UFC's masterful at keeping people under contract because that's their whole business motto, that they have the fighters locked up. They have 90, 95% of the best fighters in the world in each weight class locked up. It's like recording artists, right? Those people are like signing contracts for like five albums right out of the gate at very low, low salaries, right? Exactly. And then by the time they get big during their second or third album, they're like, yo, I'm stuck in this fucking contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the comparison that the fighters that I've talked to that they've used. Um, Although the UFC claims that these allegations are, quote, legally and factually meritless. They bought up all the competition and now they're dictating what our value is. So basically it's like they're accusing UFC of being a monopoly. Yes, a monopoly, but also a monopsony. <laughs> okay, tell me tell me what that means. What does that mean? A monopsony is the reverse of a monopoly. I wondered the same thing, right? So I decided to reach out to somebody who's been covering this for years. A monopoly is when you're the one seller of a product. A monopsony, therefore, would be the reverse. You're the only buyer of a product. John Nash is a journalist who has been covering the intersection of MMA and the UFC and money for like well over a decade at this point. It's called prize fighting. Money is a big part of it. Oh, interesting. All right. Okay. And the good is these fighters' ability to fight. Exactly. The good is world-class MMA fighters, right? When I got into mixed martial arts, it was sold on honor and, and all this other stuff that went with it. The people were just out there trying to prove themselves and, and money was kind of secondary. One of the things that I think has destroyed professional sports, football, basketball, all the major sports, is the money. Everybody is always talking about money. And I'm like, that seems a little misleading. When I'm paying money to watch someone get brutalized in a cage and possibly get permanent brain damage or even death, 
I want as much of that money that I'm paying to watch them to go to that individual. And the UFC has grown so big, so quickly, that according to the lawsuit, 90% of every dollar spent on MMA on the planet is spent with the UFC. Right. So a fan has nowhere else to go spend their money than UFC. Exactly. So there's a number of smaller competitors, but there's just no one in the neighborhood of the UFC. Right. Uh, To paraphrase the UFC here, they argue that they basically did the hard work of getting the sport legalized, making it a global phenomenon. And because they've done that work already, that actually makes it easier for other MMA promotions to break into the market. That's one way to look at it. I guess that's that's the way the UFC wants to look at it. That's fine. But I do have to ask, there are other sports that you've mentioned, like football, basketball, and those sports all have unions, right? So why don't the MMA fighters, the, the fighters that fight for UFC, why don't they unionize too? I mean, look, first and foremost, like I said, these guys are not considered employees. They are legally considered independent contractors, and it's difficult for independent contractors to unionize. There's no health care. There's no family health care, no personal health care. There's uh, no pension plan, no 401k, nothing offered like that. The other thing is like, this is a sport where these guys, these fighters are like, in the most literal sense, fighting each other. They're, they have to look out for themselves. And on top of that, how do you organize the fighters and how do you have solidarity when there's so many fighters spread all around the globe and the roster rotates rapidly? Every year they fire fighters and hire new ones. Like the average fighter only fights for about three fights in the UFC. And so there's this like really short period of time where they have the opportunity to actually make some real money. And nobody wants to waste that opportunity sitting on the shelf, essentially sacrificing the peak of their careers for something as amorphous as a union. So a teacher holding out for six months and not getting paid, they will make it up if they if they get a pay bump on the when they get the resolution. For a fighter or, or for any athlete, any strike or any holdout might never be made up So what's the status of the case right now? So the case is moving through the courts super slowly, but it is moving forward as a class action lawsuit. And actually this summer, a a second group of fighters filed another really similar lawsuit um, covering more recent years, like 2017 to 2021. Okay, so this case is like looming on the horizon, right? It's, It's going slowly, but like it's there. What's your takeaway from all of this? Yeah, I think the big takeaway here is like the UFC might seem different or unique or quirky, but the reality is like this is in a lot of ways a classic labor story, right? Uh, John Nash called the issue a microcosm of American labor. The reason I would like to see fighters show some sort of solidarity and organize and have some sort of regulations and protections and see a larger share of the revenue is for the same reason I want to see the rest of America do the same. The same thing that's impacting fighters, that they are classified as independent contractors, that they're treated like gig workers, that they don't have unions and representation, that they're being dominated by monopolies, using monopsy power on them. That's the same thing happening to basically wide swaths of a working class America who, because they're not experts in a field, they're considered replaceable, they're considered interchangeable cogs. And I mean, look, at the end of the day, This case is ultimately about two parties fighting over money. And it's up to the law to determine if these fighters were wronged or not. And I understand not wanting to feel bad for elite athletes not being paid enough. But ultimately, to me, this isn't about the quantity of dollars. This is about fairness. 
the UFC is raking in money and fighters are the product, right? It takes a shitload of work. It requires a rare skill set. I can't do it. I don't think you can do it. And fighters like Nate and Gray, they just want their pay to reflect their talent. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Vice News Reports is produced by Jesse Alejandro Cottrell, Sophie Cazes, Jen Kinney, Janice Yamoka, Julia Nutter, and Sarah Cavedo. Our senior producers are Ashley Cleek, Adiza Egan, and Sam Greenspan. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, Natasha Jacobs, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producer and VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is Senior Production Manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Zimros. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, but for real, please rate and review the podcast. It really does help other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. <laughs> 